Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Boker Tov to you, and good Shabbos to everyone. Chodesh Tov. (laughs) Yes, maybe that would be the best way to review the events of the week. Just wish everyone a good Shabbos, (laughs) and that's it. And that is that. So your your impressions of the second impeachment of uh, President Donald Trump? Well, it's an historic event. It's the first time it's ever occurred. Um, you know, I hope that we can get past this and get onto the some of the issues. But um, we'll see. It's not over, and uh, there there seems to be very strong sentiment for this. Um, yeah. Yep. And that's it. <laughs> okay. There's strong sentiment, all right. Politics is funny. A lot of these things um, live by the slogan, what comes, what goes around comes around. Uh, many precedents for that in history. It'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Uh, we lost a great philanthropist this week. What could you tell us uh, as you remember uh, Sheldon Adelson? Well, he was a great philanthropist. He was somebody who uh, put his uh, money and his heart where, where his mind was, and he... And his wife and his family, they donated immense amounts of money, much of it unknown. I think that they gave over $200 million a year to medical research, not just to Jewish causes, but $70 million a year to birthright. And, you know, that he bought and started Israel Hayom in Israel and obviously donated limitless amounts of money to the causes in which... He believed, and he was certainly a great Jewish patriot in terms of his um, his commitments. Uh, so he will be, I think, sorely missed by many. It's interesting that his legacy, as the United States media um, reports on his passing, is so tied to President Trump. Uh, I, I think one could say that his interests were more than just supporting candidates. He wanted to support candidates who he felt would be there for Israel. He wanted to support candidates who he thought would be best for the future of the United States, especially in the business world. And uh, in general, it's it's a shame that with all the things you just said, including the medical research that he supported, etc., that will likely be such an important part of his legacy that he was associated with this president. Uh, a bit unfair, right? Uh, I think unfair. I mean, why? Why is it uh, any more wrong? There's no. He didn't manipulate. He donated openly. Right. He was a supporter of um, President Bush and of other Republicans. I mean, there are people who give along the spectrum of of uh, views and and parties, and they're not subject to the same kind of scrutiny and often demonization. And it was very unfortunate because I think his his charity. As you said, was very altruistic and um, and very generous. Um, we have a very very big week coming up. Obviously, here in the United States, is going to be a very important transition. Um, it, 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 as much as we want to move on, I think many people feel that way. Move on and you know forget some of the things of the past. When you see the uh, uh, NYPD being sued by the Attorney General, when you see the uh, uh, what's going on in Washington and this uh, what what likely will be e- either never ending or or someone maybe the new president will actually put his foot down and put an end to this uh, in terms of um, uh, Donald Trump being on trial both literally and figuratively 
with all this going on, we have so many important things to focus on. Um, when 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 President Elect Biden announced the new head of the CIA, there was an interesting reaction across the board in the Jewish community, especially among uh, Israel supporters. What can you tell us about William Burns? I've known him for decades. He's, um, you know, he's a professional, he's a State Department uh, career person. He's not, uh, he's not new to this. Um, he's held many positions in uh, and in Middle East, uh, including in the Middle East. Uh, he was Ambassador Jordan, I know, and certainly in the State Department. We worked with him over the years um, in those capacities. So, um, uh, and you have to take it when the context of all of the appointments that are, are, are being made, uh, many of them are people who have long served or have had long uh, associations. Um, Blinken certainly had uh, the appointment of Rob Malley as the Iran envoy. has raised a lot of concern. There are other positions. Um, Jake Sullivan, we've known and worked with uh, for many years. So it fits into the, it's the total team that you have to look at. And the question is, what role will people like John Kerry or Susan Rice or others, those are the questions people are raising. We don't know, even though their their assignments are domestic in orientation. Uh, and um, Bill Burns, you know, it will, will operate and do what uh, the administration tells him. He, he had, um, there are people who've, you know, dug up already so much of what, um, uh, every every move and association he had with policy in the past, and people yeah. will study that over the coming days. I think some people are suggesting that the the team, the group that you just alluded to, not just Burns but the others, uh, is giving us an indication of where Pre- uh, President Biden uh, is going to go regarding Iran. Do you agree with that? That there's now a clear path that looks like a uh, reinstatement of some type of uh, Iran nuclear deal. I think he's been very open and clear about it, um, um, about his, his policy, and that his intention is to get back in the deal. Um, the, the question is sequence of events and the conditions for it. I think the Iranians, they frankly, should be should be ruling out their own admission into the uh, and readmission into the deal uh, <laughs> because uh, because of what they're admitting to. You mean? Pardon me? Because of what they're admitting to, you mean? Because of the public things that they've said that they're doing? Well, they- just let's look at the, at the last few days of what what stuff that they they have done. First of all, mm-hmm. they're they're advancing the nuclear program and they're producing this uranium metal, which is a direct component of the of of producing a uh, nuclear weapon. It's um, it builds the core of a nuclear weapon, and they're doing this at the site at Isfahan. And they said it will take like four or five months. It hasn't made it so far, according to Western estimates. But but we know the intent, the very intent that they have uh, they've announced, and it brings them closer to crossing the line between um, a nuclear program that they can claim has potential civilian use uh, to one that is clearly uh, of uh, nuclear weapons um, purposes. And the um, and even their ambassador to the International Atomic Energy Agency said that they would produce this, and saying it was for their Tehran uh, nuclear reactor, mm-hmm. which doesn't hold much water. But, but but in addition, you know that they they did a big missile drill 
uh, with their new largest warship. They, they've launched a new warship, which is the biggest that they've ever had. And they also had the, um, the Macron, with a, which is a logistic vessel with helicopter pads, uh, pad on it, and the Zera, which is called um, Armor, and it's a missile launching ship. And these were involved in these exercises, but they take them out in order to demonstrate to the West that if you think that we're going to go peacefully into this, uh, into the dark on this, you got something else coming. In addition, we, we've seen them um, putting out uh, uh, other uh, weapons. We know, first of all, you saw that uh, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo said that Iran is the new home of Al Qaeda, and right. that they're operating out of Iran. Uh, and that uh, despite their denials that al-Qaeda is there, and they, he said that this poses a direct threat to the United States. He said that, that Iran gave him a new operational headquarters, and so that they are the uh, home base for uh, for the group. And um, we, we know that the uh, operations um, were designated for uh, sanctions even this week, and they operate along the Iraqi um, uh, Iranian border and the Iraqi-Syrian border. I mean, there were so many things this week alone, uh, and that they sent these deadly drones, the, the suicide drones, to Yemen. So they pre-positioned them in case they want to use them. Also, we know that they pre-positioned missiles in, in Yemen, uh, which Israel is very concerned about because they, they have... Um, these UAVs, by the way, have a range of 2,000 kilometers, which means they can hit much of the Middle East and can carry weapons. And uh, they're not called suicide drones because they go out for peaceful uh, purposes. I- I'm giving you just some of the things that um, they're doing when the, the head of the IMGC's Navy said that they are once again going to patrol in the, in the Red Sea and that they're putting mil- military vessels um, to counter, quote, aggression, which is how they uh, always justify what they're doing, but they're saying they're protecting their oil and commercial fleets. When we know that they are planting mines, that they are doing many things, they're testing new and more advanced missiles. So in that context now, to talk about uh, any concession to Iran has to be carefully considered, both for the message it sends. Our allies in the region, including Israel and the Gulf states, are very concerned about going back into the deal because the if you the the, the concession should come first and not after you've already um, you know first to go back in the deal and then try to negotiate because you lose your leverage at that point. Yeah. Uh, with that in mind, there have been articles that Israel has to revisit the military option. I have a feeling that Israel never, n- never did not visit the military option. Even that's, if- that's true. Israel has to prepare. You know, they moved um, uh, uh, both Patreon and Iron Dome missile batteries to Eilat recently because this is a protection because the firing would likely come over the Red Sea uh, area. But they, they did. You're absolutely right. Israel can't put its guard down at any time, but specifically not now. And especially, you know, that Iran is considering legislation which call in the modulus in their parliament that calls for the destruction of Israel by 2040. And the and you don't take it lightly because the Supreme Leader said it a couple of years ago, and they have a, they brought out this big digital clock with a countdown to 2040. Uh, they also say they want to destroy the United States. And we have to take them seriously. Look at the investment they're making at a time when the country has so little um, that they they, uh, were testing uh, new missiles, and a U.S. submarine was there, the USS Georgia, and 
they uh, they warned it to get out and telling them that they you know that they wouldn't be responsible for the consequences if if the submarine didn't leave the Gulf, but they were monitoring these uh, new exercises. So Iran is doing everything um, to to put forward that its claims have a real basis that it is developing its its uh, capacity. They moved. Uh, Iranian forces on the Syrian-Iraq border. They're trying constantly to move closer to the Golan. They've made some progress in this. They align with other militias, and that's why Israel is constantly hitting, you know, that they hit 500 targets last year. Uh, and this uh, last couple, the last week, they hit very big targets uh, of uh, both permanent in Syria and mobile targets of the Iranians who are constantly moving weapons, both for Hezbollah, but for also their own use in Syria against Israel. So Israel has to take it seriously. They know that the threats of dictators can't be dismissed. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and Nahum Siegel.com and the Nahum Siegel Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. What do you hear about the lockdown in Israel? I know that a lot of people already have gotten the second vaccine. Um, anything unique about this lockdown? Are people adhering to it? Largely, and it's being enforced fairly strictly. It's likely to be extended because you see the numbers still have wow. not started to come down and people call me constantly people have symptoms in the family or other things and unfortunately right now you cannot go uh, unless it's uh, even on humanitarian issues they're being turned down but that's still a possibility but overall um, people are not being permitted to, to go uh, Israelis I think can go back but they they the quarantine is very strict and they People tell me they call you four or five times a day to make sure that you're in the house and that you're all right. But it's uh, it, it's really essential. Two million people have been vaccinated, I was told last night, uh, and they are rapidly moving to try to, to meet that the deadline of the end of March for everybody over 16 years. Uh, a lot of people do not want to take it, so therefore, you know, then it won't get to 100% fulfillment, but they are still working very hard on it. And uh, if one of those two million people wanted to visit the United States, can they get in here uh, with some type of proof that they've been vaccinated twice, or or we're not at that stage yet? Like, could someone come from Israel to the U.S. or from anywhere to the U.S. so they could prove they were vaccinated? Well, we've also clamped down now, and there are other proposals now for further clamping down. Uh, the people were coming from Israel, but I don't know that. Uh, Right now, first of all, I think most of the flights are not uh, are still not flying. But the um, as far as I know, uh, people have come from Israel uh, who have um, you know have the tests and and the shots. Mm-hmm. But um, it's restrictive. Uh, in Israel, there's a new type of demonstration. It seems not only are they demonstrating against the prime minister, now they're, they're demonstrating against the attorney general for continuously postponing the trial, which I think now is officially February the eighth, unless it's been postponed again. I don't know if there's been a new date over the last few days. So that seems to be the new target now. Is the attorney general? They're frustrated that he continues to uh, postpone the date of the trial as we get closer and closer to the election. Well, they did postpone in this past week uh, hearings because of COVID, and you can't bring people into the court and not to have them face to face is is you know can diminish the rights of the 
of both parties, I guess, but certainly of the defendant. And, um, you know, with an election looming in March, the question is how politicized, how much more politicized it's just funny. It it, it's just funny that that situation, which is to avoid the problem of not social distancing, has created a situation where people are together protesting and rallying outside of Mandelblit's house without social distancing. Just and there have been arrests. You know, the the rallies every Saturday night at Netanyahu's uh, home, and some of them have gotten very rowdy and even some violence. Police have been pretty tough in in addressing it. Um, you know the uh, the election is now heating up. You see all the shifting alignments when Boogie um, uh, Alom breaks with Lapid and uh, Smotrich breaks from um, Bennett and uh, everybody. There's a lot of shifting. Uh, Sands Danny Dayan, whom I know you know well, when he was here, the Consul General joined his um, uh, on Cyrus party. Uh, there there is a lot of musical chairs going on. The numbers, as we know are not indicative and predictive of anything because uh, Israelis tell the truth to pollsters and then lie at the polls, so they never can predict what exactly uh, the outcome will be. Right now, we could still remain the largest party. Many people still feel that Netanyahu will win again. Many more, and analysts and others have told me there'll be a fifth election because nothing will come out of this that will be conclusive enough according to the numbers as they're developing. So... It's, uh, you know, it's very fluid. This is not healthy for democracy to have four elections, alone five elections in a two-year period. Um, and uh, But it seems people are resigned to it. I don't hear the same objections that I heard uh, before the summer. It may be that many people will just not vote. Many people will just, you know, throw their hands up. Uh, they, um, and so, therefore, the people who are very dedicated and committed to one party or another will be the ones who show up and dictate the outcome. So polling, again, becomes less less relevant when you have a, a lower turnout. Well, let's so it's talk- not healthy. It's, Israel needs stability right now. Let's talk about a couple issues that might uh, seep into this election and certainly will seep into the political scene here, I would bet. Uh, the announcement by the Prime Minister about 800 new settler homes. Often you tell us this is not a big deal because these are buildings that were planned long time ago. The timing is interesting, though, as President Trump leaves, President Biden comes in. What do you think of this news item? Well, it's certainly being interpreted by people in the media who love to jump on these things as a slap at Biden or something else. I don't believe that that is the intent. Um, but, you know, hopefully, though, people will be sensitive. As you remember, on a, a visit, the last visit that Biden made, there was an announcement made while he was there, which was done not by the prime minister or with the prime minister's knowledge, but a lower-level Pakid, uh, you know, put out this announcement, perhaps intentionally, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it was ever determined, uh, at least not publicly. But the... Um, you know, we have to look at the the perception of things. Everything can be turned around. You know, as much as, you know, people laud Israel for reaching 2 million or saying that they, you know, it's the highest rate and maybe the first country, I think after Palau, who will get full uh, inoculation. Yeah. Um, uh, but you see that it's already been turned against it. And there are countries that are saying, you know, the Jews manipulated it, that Israel, it's not fair that Israel gets this when many countries haven't been able to get it or certainly can't fill their quotas uh, uh, of what they wanted. 
so they can turn everything you know on its head instead of acknowledging that Israel planned ahead and and okay. is implementing. You know, we hear and even hear and stuff of how many go to waste at at, at the end of the day because you can't keep it uh, non-refrigerated for long periods. Right. They have to throw it out even. And Israel instead puts out an announcement in the afternoon, late afternoon, when they know that there's going to be extras and people can go and get it. And, and people don't wait long t- hours uh, to get it. So what should be complemented and replicated by other countries, you know, already becomes source both of anti-Israel and even anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric. Yeah, no question about that. What about the other election? Some type of deadline or um, or benchmark date of January 20th was announced this week by the president of the PA. Could you tell us what the January 20th date means? Nothing, generally. <laughs> uh, whether they, they, you know, this, this government is already in the 14th year, maybe even 15th year of its four-year term. The... Um, there's a lot of contestation about uh, potential successors, but there's no sign that Abbas is ready to give up power. He, he, it's also a kleptocracy, as you know, where they they steal the money and they can't afford to give it up. Um, we do see certain uh, ma- uh, manifestations where um, they're looking for ways, for instance, on pay to slay, where they advance payments for December and January, so uh, and now are looking for ways to bypass the law because you know they don't want to uh, cut the funding as the international community, not just the United States and of course Israel and the Taylor Force Act here and the laws in Israel uh, prevent the transfer of money to the to the families for, of terrorists and murderers, and it, it incentivizes uh, the killers. In, in fact, the the banks in in Yud and Shimon were given orders now not to transfer the payments, so the they've stopped putting the money through the banks. Uh, and uh, as I said, they were talk about putting them on as government employees, all sorts of subterfuges to be able to continue this really outrageous uh, policy which has been condemned across the board uh, and uh, and that's also pre-election um, uh, policies we see Dahlan uh, playing a bigger role and the the um, questions going to be who will the candidates be and will they really go to an election or just simply continue as they have each time and the January 20th if I if I have this correct is a self-imposed deadline by Abbas to announce new elections. Right, and, you know, that can be six months from now, whatever. And the question is, is his health that we don't know, or will he uh, look for some successor uh, so that he can dictate? You know, Dahlan is a mortal enemy, so he he, um, certainly doesn't want to see him be a successor. Tell me about the U.S. uh, designating uh, the Hooties, um, uh, on a blacklist, and and because I know so little about um, uh, Yem, Yem, Yemenite, would that be the right word? Yemenite politics. Explain why it could lead to disaster in Yemen. Well, I don't think it's a disaster to designate them because they are uh, today uh, virtually a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran. Also, you know, they they receive all this assistance from Iran. Uh, this is the, the actual government of Yemen. Yeah, and they rule, and they certainly rule certain areas of Yemen, not the whole thing. As you know, the country is still engaged in a civil war. That's that on one side you have uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE has 
sort of pulled, has essentially pulled out, but Saudi Arabia is still backing the the uh, former government, or a government. Nobody knows what's former and current anymore in uh, in Yemen. It's the poorest country in the world. It's a disaster situation. Uh, actually, some uh, Jews got out this week. Uh, family reunification in uh, in the UAE, which was uh, very important, uh, but. The situation there is so disastrous. Many, many people are being killed. They're using it as a launching ground for missile attacks on Saudi Arabia, but it can also become, a miss, as I said, against Israel, against shipping in the Red Sea. We've seen them moving against the Straits of Hormuz. We've seen them uh, in engaging in aggressive actions. And the Houthis uh, become, you know, they started off as this ragtag group that used to operate on the northern border against the Saudi Arabia for a long time, and everybody ignored it. And when they started marching, people in Yemen contacted me, and I contacted the government. I said, listen, you guys better pay attention. You can stop them easily, just with a few drones. And they kept ignoring it, ignoring it. And finally, they were, you know, this was six months out and three months out and three days out of of, uh, of Sana, the capital. And they took the capital. They couldn't even take all the government buildings. They didn't have the troops for it. But the government, the army sort of fled, and, and we even evacuated a base there, and they got the weapons, and they took stuff uh, from us, which they then again used in the in the fighting. Uh, so the U.S. obviously is opposed to the Houthis. We have designated them because they they deserve. They're engaged in all sorts of terrorism support activities, and uh, there are negotiations that have been ongoing. Saudi Arabia certainly wants to get out of this mess now, and the question is, will there be a way to do it? Will this become part of the negotiations uh, with Iran? A lot of questions on this. The family gets out. We we spoke to Rabbi Abadi on the air about it uh, this week. He leads the uh, Jewish community in uh, in Dubai. Uh, and then, in addition to that, the uh, PA criticizes the UAE for um, accepting products or importing products from Judea and Samaria, etc. I mean, the, the UAE is in a unique position uh, because of the strength they have, both economically and, and it seems politically as well, diplomatically at this point. Do, do they care at all? When, when they're being criticized? Like, do we have to worry that they're going to cave in to a BDS-type accusation or boycott that's being suggested by other Arab states or other Arab entities? Well, we're always concerned about it, but it's it's the government itself, uh, I think, has taken many steps to follow up on the deal, including education, textbooks, things like that, are changing in Saudi Arabia too, Egypt too. Uh, the PA not, and by the way, the study that came out this week about UNRWA is so damning about the textbooks that they and that they acknowledge have anti-Israel and even anti-Semitic uh, racist comments encouraging terrorism and jihad, ignoring the Jewish presence and the legitimacy of, of Israel and and violating even their own standards. And I, I mention this because you know they teach 500,000 children, and they're encouraging them. To go with violence and, um, and and some of the materials copied directly from the PA textbooks, which are being used now uh, in, in these uh, UNRWA schools, and Europe is demonized for the Crusades, which means also anti-Christian. I, I don't want to go through all the details, but they're saying that the, you know that Israel is destroying Al-Aqsa Mosque and uh, dumping toxic waste in the West Bank. Uh, so when we talk about textbooks and text, is the United Nations agency that's engaged in it. So some of the Arab countries, as a result, have been moderating their textbooks, certainly media reports um, about uh, about Israel, about Jews. 
Jews have been welcomed so openly in the UAE. Uh, tens of thousands of Israelis have gone there. So I don't see UAE reversing. I talk to government officials there uh, and others. I think that they are really committed to this course. They're doing a lot to, in the high-tech area to do business, to do seminars, to do exchanges. Uh, and Because it, it, it really has to be a piece of the people to be sustained. In Saudi Arabia, they're not yet up to that point. Bahrain, on the other hand, has. They just signed a deal with the uh, Special Envoy on Anti-Semitism, adopting the IRA definition, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance de- definition, uh, uh, which is a very significant statement today. Uh, a major group in Morocco is going, going to sign a similar uh, deal. So there really are serious and significant changes that are taking place. This is not something that's going to, you know, it's not a flipping of a switch that overnight everything is going to change. This is gradual. It's education. It's showing benefits. Can it reverse any time in any of these countries? We we do feel that we are, you know, living through a really historic time. I think anybody of faith feels that way, uh, certainly in this audience at this point, with the way things are going. Uh, but that's really our concern, what you just described. Um, can, can this momentum continue uh, with all the nations that you just mentioned and others who've expressed interest in peace with Israel and, you know, and, and, um, and understanding the bigger picture? Or, or, and this is a concern, I could, you know, we've gotten enough emails about this uh, that I know that the listeners who are tuned in right now want to hear you address it. Or, or Wednesday afternoon, is it all over? Is it all over Wednesday afternoon? Is progress in Saudi Arabia and things that we expect from other countries in Africa and in the Middle East, the Arabian Gulf, it, do, do you think it could just come to a screeching halt with a new administration? All of them are waiting to see also. They're asking the same question, they, these other countries. But I think the administration has said that they, they want to see this process continue, the members of the incoming administration. Uh, whether they'll give it the impetus and the, the dedication that the um, previous administration did is something we will have to see. We don't know how they were prioritizing. I think first emphasis will be on the domestic agenda of the COVID and, and the economic conditions. And the president-elect yesterday spoke about a $2 trillion package for almost $2 trillion uh for economic revival and benefits to people so i think that will be the first uh, emphasis but you have one overriding guiding force and that's iran and iran is driving them and uniting them and if they think that the west and the us included will be softer on iran that makes israel loom even larger because, as they say, Israel is a permanent aircraft carrier in the region, and that if, God forbid, the you know things come to the point where it's necessary to defend against uh, Iranian aggression, that Israel will will be very critical to them. And you know, an Israeli submarine was seen in the Persian Gulf. They're they're sending messages all the time. They're continuing, as I said, these. Um, the strikes against uh, some of their nuclear research facilities, the manufacturing places for whether it's precision guidance systems or missile parts and other things in Syria, uh, even along the Iraqi border. So, you know, there are a lot of factors that come into play, including, by the way, Turkey, which has said it wants to improve its relations with Israel and relations with Europe, but at the same time continues its support for terrorist groups and has Hamas, uh, headquarters in in Ankara, 
there are so many floating parts. So each piece of the each piece of the puzzle affects the others, and whether we get a total picture or not, and the new administration, you know, we will see what uh, what policies they're really going to follow. You know, it's uh, it's interesting as this transition takes place because, uh, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm, this is not a comment on on anything that's happened over the last couple of weeks in Washington. Um, I think it's outrageous on all sides, frankly. But uh, but the the history will likely show that, uh, especially for those who like the direction that we've seen in terms of foreign policy over the last couple of years. Uh, that President Trump and and Jared Kushner and whoever else gets credit literally changed history, and 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 for those of us again who want to see this progress, it's frustrating to think that it could end on Wednesday, <laughs> but but you have to look back and say that they you know we, we actually lived through a history making uh, administration in this area. I know there's a lot of other things that we could discuss regarding what happened in this presidency, uh, but we we I don't think anybody ever saw this coming to the degree that it happened, frankly. so. And you've seen that uh, there were articles listing all the things that, that have happened that you forget over four years. But also, I think that there are a lot of people in, in the incoming administration who have long associations with Israel who, um, you know, not starting from ground zero. So hopefully we will see a facilitated uh, transition when it comes to Middle East. But I don't think it will be the central priority uh, now with the... Uh, and, and there will be much more of a multilateral approach, certainly to Iran, uh, on the part of this administration. I mean, you have to read what they say, and they're saying clearly certain things uh, about, um, you know, the positions uh, that, that they will take. Uh, and you have to look at the people they're appointing and, and what positions they're likely to hold. I think a lot will clarify. Um, Jake Sullivan, the new national security advisor, gave some interviews. People should read them. And then... You know, draw, don't draw conclusions yet because it's much too early. And reality will dictate. The events on the ground will dictate. Iran continues its aggressive behavior. They have said that they will not tolerate, not accept uh, the violations, the nuclear violations. Maybe they get the Europeans to be a little tougher in order to win favor with the new administration. There could be, you know, some steps of, of that kind. But the violations right now are very clear. I want people to understand how the Iranians are manifesting this not and and boasting often about it let alone have a resolution calling for the destruction of Israel and the and the United States so there there's no attempt on their part to hide it and the the naval exercises that they're doing the new warships the things every every sign is a message and they're going to test the new administration yeah no question about that by the way, I want to wish you a Mazal Tov on uh, being the president of the Great Synagogue in Jerusalem. Congratulations! Thank you. It's a wonderful honor. It's not—it's uh, not a job everybody should know. This is just uh, something that I've been involved with the shul for the synagogue for a long time. It's a central landmark in Jerusalem. It's critical that it uh, remain vibrant and vital and be there for future generations. It's a really a great place, and for people like Hazanas, they know they can come there and. Uh, for people in, in Jerusalem should have a great synagogue of any city has one. And uh, the, this is really, it's a wonderful place. It's unfortunately been closed for 
the duration of uh, COVID because it's a bit size and stuff it would be very hard. The Svartic minion actually continued. So I hope everybody will come. I'll try to get you an Aliyah if I'm there, that Shabbos, but uh, well, you have that's, to spend, that's the well, extent of my influence. Well, you have to spend, remember, Malavi, uh, will you have to spend even more time in Jerusalem now? Uh, I don't have to, no. But no requirements. I want to uh, no, spend more I time. I'm, I have to say, like many others in your audience, uh, it's very frustrating. This is the longest time in five decades that I haven't been in Israel, and three times longer than the last, than the longest time. And so much to be done, and so much uh, things that are put on hold because of, uh, of COVID. I hope, God willing, before long, and, and especially to see the tourism industry come back, which is critical for Israel, that people get to see their families, their kids who are studying in Israel. Um, again, perhaps by Pesach, we'll see the reopening oh, of the country. So. That would be amazing. Oh, by the way, I'm just thinking, forget the Aliyah. You know what I could use you for? Uh, oh, when, oh, when, I, when I have a meeting at the Mizrahi office, I could use that front area of the shul as a parking space, if you don't mind. Can you, can you, can you, can you, <laughs> you can have your meetings in the front area if you want. But. <laughs> no space, huh? Not I doubt a ch- it. Not a chance. Finally, Malcolm, just to revisit for one more second, I think it's such an important message. Shelley Adelson teaches us that we all have talent, resources, and capabilities. We could sit and do nothing, or we could dedicate all of them to great, important, history-changing causes. Wouldn't you say that's a good assessment? I think it's a wonderful assessment, and that he didn't let his own illnesses or limit his his contributions and going to Washington and flying to Israel and you can agree or disagree with his politics you can like or not like you know what he supported but you cannot deny that at a time when so many other wealthy Jews are not contributing to Israel and certainly not in any proportion to to their wealth who are not doing what they should that when somebody who does and who clearly cares as deeply cared as deeply as he did and his family his wife certainly that uh, that should be acknowledged and uh, and people can mourn his loss even without agreeing with his politics well, excellent. Well said. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll Good speak Shabbos. again next Good week. Everybody be well. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents, a major American Jewish organization, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.